this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 448, and today we are talking about books being released on February 6, 2024, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Danica Ellis, and we're coming to you from BookRiot.com. Danica! Hello. It's not my day. It's not my week. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just have those. It's been a tough couple of days, and so I thought today would be better, but no. And now our recording software that we use is down, and my computer isn't working with the stuff that we used to use, and yeah, I'm just kind of cranky and complaining a lot. Yeah, I feel like we're in a race to when your computer overheats. I'm like, yeah, it's been a very good computer for many, many years. But for some reason, yesterday it was like, I'm tired and I don't want to do this anymore. And I was like, I hear you, buddy, but please hang in there. But we're going to find out. So, yeah. hi. Might be, might be a shorter recording as we just try to speed. To yeah. The end. Yeah. I'm going to talk even faster than usual. <laughs> People are going to have to slow it down so much. You can do that, right? Like slow podcast yeah. down? All right. Totally. I speed everybody up. Though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't even imagine what I sound like when I'm sped up. So, but we're going to talk about books now. And I have a lot of books to talk about that I love. And that's going to make me less cranky. Um, and today's area code, the corresponding area code to the episode number 449 is for Santa Clara, California. Where I have never been. They have a lot of area codes in California. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's amazing. So let's see. What else do I have to tell you? Um, I started watching True Detective season four. Oh, what did you think? I love it. I do. Hmm. Everyone seems to be really down on it, but I love it. Yeah. I love Jodie Foster. She's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Just amazing. And, you know, I was going to wait. I hate watching shows until, like, I like to wait till they're finished. I don't like watching them in real time. Uh, I just, mm-hmm. because I, I just, like, I want more. I want more. But um, people were just talking about it everywhere. I was like, this is going to yeah. be spoiled for me. So I've been watching mm-hmm. it in real time. Um, and I love it. Yeah. It's been, it's been several weeks since I watched a TV show. So. Oh, really? Yeah. I just, I go through phases. Like a lot of people. I'm like, I'm going to mm-hmm. watch all of season one of this show right now, tonight, instead of reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so, True Detective season four, I highly recommend it so far. We're only on episode three, but I dig it. It's scary. I like scary. I like <laughs> I like isolated, scary horror, mystery, sci-fi things, especially like in yeah. cold climates. I dig it. So, have you seen any of them? I haven't seen the second or no. third season. No. no, I haven't seen any of them, but I've been hearing lots of discourse. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I love it. So 
Um, let's see what else. Uh, 2024 is the 10th year of the Read Harder Challenge. You might have heard us mention this. You can join us as we make our way through 24 tasks meant to expand our reading horizons and diversify our TBRs. To get book recommendations for each task, sign up for the Read Harder newsletter. We'll also keep you informed about other cool reading challenges, readathons, and more across the bookish internet. If you become a paid subscriber, you get even more recommendations plus community features where you can connect with a community of passionate, like-minded readers in a cozy and supportive corner of the internet. Visit bookriot.com slash readharder to sign up. That's bookriot.com slash readharder. You'll also get weekly photos of my dog, Scrappy. Yeah, so. I was going to say, you're the person <laughs> in charge of the newsletter. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm you're also, you're, you're going on vacation after we finish yeah. this. Yeah. It's like a race yeah. to get Danica on vacation before my computer <laughs> dies. So that's cool. All right. So we're going to hear from a sponsor now. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of When We Were Silent by Fiona McPhillips. So Louise Manson is the newest student at Highfield Manor, Dublin's most exclusive private school. Behind its granite walls are high-arched alcoves, an oak-lined library, and the dark secret Lou has come to expose. So Lou's working-class status makes her the consummate outsider. That is until she is befriended by some of her beautiful and wealthy classmates. But after Lou attempts to bring the school's secret to light, her time at Highfield ends with a lifeless body sprawled at her feet. Then, 30 years later, Lou gets a shocking phone call. A high-profile lawyer is bringing a lawsuit against the school, and he needs Lou to testify. Lou will have to confront her past and discover, once and for all, what really happened at Highfield. Powerful and compelling, When We Were Silent is a thrilling story of exploitation, privilege, and retribution with themes of revenge, love, power, and secrets. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of When We Were Silent by Fiona McPhillips for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Four Eads and a Funeral by Farida Abike Iamide and Adiba Jai Gadar. And let me just say... These two authors are powerhouse YA authors. They write bangers. They write fire novels that slap. Just letting y'all know that off rip. So ex-best friends Tiwa and Saeed must work together to save their Islamic center from demolition. Tiwa doesn't understand what made Saeed start ignoring her, but it's probably that fancy boarding school of his. Anyway, he's unexpectedly staying at home through the summer and she's determined to take a page from him and pretend he doesn't exist. So there's that. But when the Islamic Center accidentally catches fire, it turns out the mayor plans to demolish the center entirely. Shady, shady boots. So will all their efforts be enough to save the Islamic Center, save Saeed, and maybe even save their relationship? Listen, time will tell. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Four Eads and a Funeral by Farida Abike Iamide and Adiba Jagadar for sponsoring this episode. And we're going to get going on these these books because I don't know if you can hear my computer, but it is already no. making lots of noises. <laughs> All right. So my first pick for today is Night Watching by Tracy Sierra. I watched a publisher event for this, and all anyone said in, like, the comments, the, the people who had already read it, like, booksellers, and the people who had read it at the publisher, they said, 
this book is so scary. You're going to have to sleep with the lights on. I had to sleep with the lights on. Oh, my goodness. And I was like, oh, okay, that sounds awesome. So I read it, and they were not wrong. This is a very stressful book, but it's good. It's about a mother and her two young children. She has a daughter and a son who is younger. Uh, they are home together one night. There's a huge blizzard outside, like huge and they live in a very, very big old house that when they moved into it, some people in town said it was haunted. But, you know, she doesn't believe that. Uh, and on this night, her husband is not there. And the mother has just checked on her sleeping kids when she hears someone coming up the stairs to their bedrooms. Like she knows the sound of treads on the stairs and she knows it's not her husband and the lights are all off. But from the downstairs hallway light, she can see the outline of a very large man standing at the top of the stairs. And the mom realizes this guy can't see her. She doesn't know what to do, but her first instinct is to grab her son. I think she's in her son's bedroom at this time. She grabs him. There's another way around the back to go through to her daughter's bedroom. She grabs her. She's like, we got to go. Be quiet. Let's go. She hustles them down the back stairs into her husband's office. In her husband's office is a hidden crawl space. Um, because of the way the house was built, there's this tiny amount of space in the center of the house around this big chimney that runs up through the middle. And you can access it through this door that's almost impossible to see in the back of a closet in her husband's office. And so she gets them in there and they're like, she closes the door and they're hiding in there. And now she can hear the intruder searching all over the house for them. And she's trying to keep her kids calm. You know, they're confused and they're scared and they're crying. And she's worried that the, her, her son, especially because he's so young, like, doesn't really understand what's going on. She's worried that he's going to start making lots of noise and give their position away. Uh, and as the hours go by, she's thinking, you know, who is this guy? Why is he still looking for us? How did he get in our locked house? She can see him just a little bit through the vent on the staircase and a little bit through a crack into her husband's office. And she's trying to think, do I know this guy? Have I ever seen this man before? She doesn't have a phone. She didn't have time to grab her phone. She would have been caught if she had tried to run past him. Uh, so now they're kind of stuck and they're just waiting for him to leave. But as the hours go by, he is not giving up. So now she has to decide if she's going to escape into this blizzard with hardly any clothes because she's in her pajamas. Her nearest neighbors are half a mile away uh, and she's, you know, she would have to run through this huge blizzard in the snow. What if she gets lost? But the alternative is just to stay there and wait for him to find them or come out from the crawl space and try and fight him. Now, in between the man's search for them, we go back and learn about her life a little bit. We learn about her relationship with her husband. His father is a horrible, horrible man. They live in this house because they moved there like a year before to be closer to his parents uh, because uh, his mother was dying and his father wouldn't lift a finger to do anything that she needed like to take care of her. His Her husband's mother had always taken care of the father. Uh, so they agreed to move and help take care of her. She's since passed. You know, they're still in this house. She loves this house, but now there's a very large, strange man in it. I won't tell you anymore, but 
you know, brace yourself. Uh, and if you were thinking while I was talking about this book, she hasn't told us what the mother's name is. That's because we don't know it. And I didn't even realize that we didn't learn it until days after I had finished this book. I went, oh, wait, hey, we never learned the mother's name. I was just like so locked in on the story. Didn't even occur to me that we didn't know. Um, it might be a hard read if you have children and or are worried about home invasion. It is very intense. And there are some uh, content warnings, including cancer and loss of a loved one, trauma, grief, gaslighting, bullying, ableism, sexism, violence, injury, and gore, uh, child harm and death. It's off the page. Uh, child sexual predation, car crashes, and alcohol use. There's a lot of bad stuff going on in this book, but they want to survive it. It is Night Watching by Tracy Sierra. I feel like I'm going to have to sleep with the light on just from your <laughs> summary of it. Oh, yeah. I was like, why did I do this to myself? This is so much fun. Why did I do this to myself? <laughs> well, my first pick is Be Not Afraid of My Body by Darius Stewart. So generally, the way that I pick books to talk about on all the books is that I request a ton of books that look interesting and get the advanced reader copies, and then I read the first page or so of each one to see which one jumps out at me, because for some reason, it has taken me this long in my reading life to realize just because I like the premise doesn't mean I will like the writing or the book. You gotta, you gotta sample the writing. So I finally learned that. And I've learned that ultimately, I think the writing style is probably a bigger factor in how much I'll enjoy the book than the premise. So I was doing that for all the books that are out February 6th. And I actually could not stop reading after the first page of Be Not Afraid of My Body. This is a poet's memoir, which is always a good sign. And there's something about the writing, especially of that first essay, that first story, where the words just seemed to be hurtling towards the end. I could not stop it at that point. I had to at least read until the chapter break. So I felt like, obviously, I had to pick that one just on that alone. The writing is poetic, as you'd expect. There's this rhythmic cadence to it. I don't think I've ever actually had that before, where I couldn't stop reading after the first page. Usually, even if I'm intrigued, I'll move on. But... This one really grabbed me. This is a memoir, and each chapter feels like an essay or a vignette of his life. It's about growing up gay and black and finding very little space to safely be both at once. He also discusses coming out as HIV positive and how he had to overcome a lot of stigma, including internalized stigma, to that status. This is not an easy read. It has a lot of dark subject matter. It uh, discusses a lot of difficult things. In the first chapter, it begins with him first noticing his attraction to other Black boys and also his instinct to really hide those feelings and not allow anyone to know about them. At the same time, he's being pursued by this white predatory man, uh, adult man, who always seems to be watching him and following him. And that, I think, is partly why I just couldn't stop reading, because I needed to make sure he was okay in that chapter. 
As he grows up, he finds his passion in poetry and eventually studies at a predominantly white university where he feels very isolated. The book has a focus on his desire, but his relationships are often unsatisfying and sometimes dangerous. And then later, he gets a job as a bartender where he becomes addicted to alcohol, which eventually leads to being hospitalized. This is a powerful and difficult reading experience, at least for me. I do want to give a lot of content warnings here, including a description of gay bashing, trans misogyny and murder, and discussions of suicide. He also doesn't shy away from describing his own flaws, especially when he was younger. So we do see him express fat phobia and HIV stigma. This is a melancholic read with a poetic voice, and I highly recommend checking out at least the first chapter to see if it grabs you like it did me. And that is Be Not Afraid of My Body by Darius Stewart. Okay, my next pick has a lot of difficult subject matter uh, and is very intense. It's Smoke Kings by Jamal Mayfield. I'm only about a third of the way into this one. Uh, But it has all the starred reviews, and it sounded so intense that I had to start reading it uh, for the show because I was very excited. And also, possibly somebody put it under the wrong date and so just realized it was coming out this week. I don't know who that could be. But this is a social commentary crime thriller. It's about a young black man named Nate and his cousins and friends. Nate is an activist. He protests the police killings of black people. He protests the systemic racism in the country. He's just very angry about what is going on in the world uh, when his little cousin is murdered. We don't know how it happened at the beginning of the book. Uh, We just know the story of what happened to his cousin starts to be told slowly as the book progresses. Uh, But Nate has felt like after this happens, Nate feels like he's reached his limit. This pushes him over the edge. He convinces his cousin and his friends to help him kidnap the descendants of white men who committed atrocities against black people a long time ago and face no punishment. They kidnap these people and demand that these people pay reparations. And the money that they deposit into this account will be used to help the black community. These people who are kidnapped are like, I don't understand why you're doing this. Uh, what have I ever done? I'm not a racist. I've never hurt anyone. I don't condone slavery. I'm not responsible for my family members' actions. And Nate is like, well, that's kind of the point. You know, those black people who were killed by your family member didn't do anything to deserve what happened to them either. So now you either have to pay or we're going to come for you and your family. Um, and that's that's the job. That's what they do uh, until they kidnap somebody with connections to a dangerous white supremacist who really would like nothing more than to hunt down these kids. Uh, And they also cross a racist former police officer who wants to find them. So now they are on the run for their lives. And a couple of them are, are questioning, like, what were we thinking? Why did we think this was a good idea? How did we let ourselves get talked into this? And like I said, I'm only a third of the way in it. Um, but it's already very, very intense. There's so much to unpack. It asks a lot of questions, you know, like who is right? When is 
is, are certain things right and wrong? Like, is anyone in this book right? Um, it's a really good comp for fans of S.A. Cosby. Uh, and as I said, I've only read one third, but of that one third, already content warnings for racism and racialized violence, police brutality, death of a child, illness, injury, violence, murder, and death. It is Smoke Kings by Jamal Mayfield. I hadn't heard of that one, and it sounds so interesting. Yeah, it also has amazing reviews. It's coming out from mm. one of my favorite smaller presses, Melville House. Oh, so. yeah. Huh. I will definitely check that one out. All right, my next pick is Significant Others by Zoe Eisenberg. This is about Jess and Ren, who were college roommates, and they've been inseparable ever since, which is something that is acceptable in college, but becomes a lot less common and a lot more judged when you're in your late 30s and you have bought a house together and you co-parent a dog. They are committed to each other, but they're not dating. So Jess is bisexual, Ren is straight. Jess has always been the responsible one who kind of takes care of Ren. She has a successful career in real estate while Ren is aimless. She is kind of working at a bar, sort of teaching dance classes at a gym, and mostly just feeling like she doesn't really know what she's going to do next. And then Ren accidentally gets pregnant after a hookup and decides she's going to keep the baby. This is the thing that she's going to do next. And Jess, as she always does, agrees to help. And then the father of Ren's unborn baby reappears in their lives and everything gets a lot more complicated. At the beginning of the story, it felt so cozy. I always love found family stories. I like unconventional systems of relationships. And they talk about how romantic relationships are so privileged in our society that they are seen as more reliable than even their decades-long friendship. And even Ren's brother, who lives with them, thinks Jess must secretly be in love with Ren to want to do this. But Despite their closeness and that little bit of coziness, this isn't an idyllic found family. There is so much under the surface of Jess and Ren's relationships. And I think like many relationships, whether they're romantic or familial or friendship, that once they've gone on for many years, every argument has a dozen other arguments that are bubbling underneath the surface. And that's definitely the case with them. A lot of their dynamic, too, has been something that just sort of passively has developed instead of something that they're actively questioning and deciding what they want from each other and from this relationship. So for me, there was this tension between this comforting idea of building a life together with a friend and the reality of their flawed relationship. There is something so beautiful and sad about this story because I think there's so much potential in this idea of really building a life with a friend, but it doesn't make it an easy thing to do. And then, of course, there's this pregnancy and the father, Quincy, and just a flaw of mine as a reader is that if I'm reading a story about this complex relationship between two women and then some guy stumbles into it, messes everything up, I'm not going to like that guy, no matter who he is. So Quincy is fine. He is just as flawed and 
human as the other characters. He's not a villain, but I was irritated by him just because of his role in the story, even though on reflection, he was probably a necessary catalyst for them. This is not a plot-driven book. It's a portrait of these characters and how they interact with each other, but I find it difficult to discuss without spoilers because I would like to discuss the ending, but I don't want to spoil it, so I won't. One aspect I'm not sure how I feel about, and I mean that genuinely, I'm, I'm still thinking about it, is that this is set in Hawaii and there are mentions of protests and politics in Hawaii, so talking about tourism and telescopes and water rights and colonialism and a lot of these protests and news stories are mentioned but they're just kind of playing out in the background they're not a focus of the narrative at all so I don't know how to feel about that but it was an interesting thing to read about if you're looking for a fluffy story of found family and the power of friendship probably isn't your best choice. It really gets into how these relationships are just as fraught as romances. But if you're looking for a portrait of a complicated relationship between two women, I highly recommend this one. It did make me cry. It is definitely one I'll be thinking about for a long time. And that's Significant Others by Zoe Eisenberg. Well, all right. Well, now I have to read it just so that we can discuss the ending. Because yeah, please do. <laughs> I make my friends do it. I'm like, please read this. They're like, did you like it? I'm like, maybe. I want to talk about it with someone. So Yeah, sometimes it's necessary. Yeah. So those are books that we have read and enjoyed or are reading and enjoying. Now we have more of today's releases that we are excited about but haven't necessarily read. I've actually read these next. I have a twofer because they're kids books and I adored them. Uh, And we all need some adorableness in our lives. The first is The Teeny Weeny Unicorn by Sean Harris, which is as cute as it sounds. It's a picture book about a very tiny unicorn. And the unicorn lives in a palace with his family and his siblings. And his family is always like, you're too small to do anything. You can't help us. They don't include him in anything because he's little. Like, if his siblings and parents were human-sized, then the teeny-weeny unicorn is like a Barbie doll to them. He's very, very small. Uh, And he's sick of it. So one day, he runs away, and he winds up traveling through fields and woods, and he's going along, and he ends up trampling the car of a gnome. He has a a cool roadster. It's pretty awesome. Uh, And the gnome is hopping mad. In the description, they call the gnome salty, which is awesome. Uh, And the gnome is like, you trampled my car! And the teeny-weeny unicorn says, I couldn't possibly... I am so small, but, you know, the gnome is like, here, you trampled my car, look, and tells him that they have to go back to the kingdom and his parents must pay for the damages to his car. And along the way, on the way back to the kingdom, the teeny weeny unicorn gets a lesson in perspective and self-image. It's very, very cute. So that is the teeny weeny unicorn, which is so fun to say, by Sean Harris. And then I also have a graphic novel, which is adorable. It's aimed at ages 6 to 10, but anyone can read it, obviously. It's so cute. It's Zips and Elu Make Hummus by Layla Bukaram and Alex Lopez. Zips and Elu are aliens living on Earth and learning about the planet. Zips is the bossy one. Elu is the one who messes everything up all the time. They're kind of like Pinky and the Brain. 
So at the beginning of the book, Zips decides that they are going to make hummus. So the book is about them gathering the ingredients they need. Elu keeps bringing Zips the wrong things. He needs a bowl. He brings them a ball, stuff like that. And Zips keeps losing his temper. Uh, then they finally get it all together. They put it in the food processor and Elu starts it before the lid is on. So it goes everywhere and Zip loses his temper or Zips, I should say. Um, and But they eventually, they make hummus and they think it's delicious. And they are sure that when they go back to visit their home planet, they're going to teach it to all the aliens there because hummus is awesome. It's just silly and fun. And there's also the actual recipe for hummus in the book. And this is listed as volume one, so hopefully we get more adventures with Zips and Elu. Um, and yeah, I just, I love it. I love hummus, so I was on board. Um, so this is Zips and Elu Make Hummus by Layla Bukaram and Alex Lopez. Those both sound adorable, and they both have such fun titles to say. <laughs> yeah, they really do. <laughs> All right, my next pick is Infinity Alchemist by Kaysen Callender, and it is about Ash Woods, who has been rejected from Lancaster Mages College. So because of that, he's not legally allowed to learn magic, and in this world, magic is alchemy. But he's not going to let that stop him because he becomes the groundskeeper and begins to practice alchemy in secret. Of course, being the groundskeeper means he is surrounded by these wealthy elitist students who love to point out that he doesn't belong there. And then he is caught secretly practicing alchemy by the brilliant and insulting and infuriating Ramsey Thorne who discovers that he has the secret, that he is um, practicing alchemy, and Ash is ready to get arrested. But instead, Ramsey makes him an offer. She is looking for the legendary Book of Source, which will give whoever reads it a ton of power. And if he helps find it, she won't call the Reds on him. As they work together, their feelings for each other grow, and so does the danger they face because this is an incredibly powerful object. They are not the only ones interested in it, and there's a lot of people who would like to stop them. So looking for the Book of Saurus means going up against some of the most powerful alchemists in the world, including Ash's estranged father. And as they continue to search across the countryside and cities of New Anglia, Ash will have to decide how much he's willing to sacrifice for power. I Obviously, couldn't help but be intrigued by a YA book set at a magic school that includes trans, queer, and polyamorous representation. The reviews say that this is the start of an action-packed queer romanticy series, and that Ash is a flawed man character with a lot of anger, which personally, I think, is a plus, but that's a your miles may vary situation. Ash is a trans guy, and Ramsey is gender fluid, so their pronouns change throughout the book. I really wanted to read more Kaysen Calendar books. I've only read one in the past, and I liked it, so I want to try some other ones, and this one seems like a perfect place to jump back in. And that is Infinity Alchemist by Kaysen Calendar. All right. Before we talk about more books, we're going to hear from another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. 
Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. This episode is sponsored by Underlined, publishers of The Night in Question by Kathleen Glasgow and Liz Lawson. If you know me, you know I'm a huge Agatha Christie fan. I've been reading her since I was an actual child and reread her at least a few times every year. So I'm so excited that this sequel is out because it's reminding me about the original that I've been meaning to read for quite some time. And now I can read both back to back. So how do you solve a murder? You follow the lessons of the master, of course, Agatha Christie. Iris and Alice find themselves in the middle of another Castle Cove mystery in this sequel to the New York Times bestseller, The Agathas. This time, to understand the lies of the present, the Agathas will need to look to the mysteries of the past. The Night in Question is available now wherever books and audiobooks are sold. That audiobook I have my eye on, and it's narrated by Mayor Dudeja, Sophie Amos, and Holly Linneman. Thank you once again to Underlined and The Night in Question by Kathleen Glasgow and Liz Lawson for sponsoring today's show. Okay, so what do I have next? Let's see. Oh, yeah. Dinner on Monster Island, Essays by Tanya de Rosario. This is a memoir and essays uh, that I wanted to read just, just for the title. Just great title, Dinner on Monster Island. Sounds amazing. Uh, but... It sounds even more amazing when you read the description. I'm going to read just a tiny bit of it from the publisher's description first. It says, Lambda Literary Award finalist Tanya Di Rosario recalls growing up as a queer brown fat girl in Singapore, blending memoir with elements of history, pop culture, horror films, and current events to explore the nature of monsters and what it means to be different. Uh, when Tanya Di Rosario was 12... Uh, she was what she calls gay exercised and taught what she was interested in and how she felt was demonic. And she intertwines her stories of growing up and thoughts about what makes us who we are and how everyone could be considered monstrous uh, with explorations of women in horror films. It sounds fantastic. I cannot wait to read it. It is Dinner on Monster Island, Essays by Tanya Di Rosario. I can't believe I didn't hear about that one. I'm always so outraged when there's a cool queer book that I didn't hear about. There are so many, <laughs> so many books out today. Yeah, it's true. There are a ton. And another one that I want to talk about is How to Live Free in a Dangerous World, a Decolonial Memoir by Shayla Lawson. So my favorite book that I read last year was The Black Period by Hafiza Augustus Geter. And when I read the description of How to Live Free in a Dangerous World, it reminded me a lot of that one, which is a good sign. They both have a queer, black, disabled author who is incorporating memoir and historical slash political elements into a book of essays. 
I feel like travel writing is usually a very white, straight, privileged genre, so I'm really interested to see Lawson's approach to it. They travel around the globe, including to a hula hoop competition in Jamaica, a New Year's celebration in Mexico City, and a Prince concert in Minnesota. They also visit France, Portugal, Venice, the Netherlands, Zimbabwe, Bermuda, and Tokyo. And in each locale, Lawson explores a theme like intimacy, boldness, mortality, Black identity, modesty, and more. This is part memoir, part essay collection, and Lawson explains how being diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome at 39 sent them on a journey to let go of everything holding them back, whether that's binary gender, a cheating husband, or insecurity. Lawson is a poet, and they combine a stream of consciousness style with a poetic voice, and they also connect their personal liberation with larger liberation movements. Because this is so much Lawson's personal voice, I think this seems like it would be excellent on audio, so I'm going to try to seek it out in that format. And that is How to Live Free in a Dangerous World by Shayla Lawson. Okay, now let's talk about some paperbacks. Today is a huge new release day. Most of February is. All of March definitely is. Um, It only occurred to me a couple weeks ago that it's an election year. So the publishers usually stuff everything at the beginning of the year. And the number of books being published at the end drop off because people are busy thinking about other things. So there are so many. Um, But out in paperback today. I'm going to try and get through this fast because my computer is like, I want to go. All right. First is A Thousand Steps Into Night by Tracy Chi. This is a historical YA fantasy about a girl cursed by a demon who goes on a quest to get it removed, meets all kinds of characters, gets chased by demon hunters. It's fantastic. Venko by Sherry Dimeline. It's about a young Métis woman in Toronto who discovers a spoon that links her to witches all across the continent, and eventually she's going to help try and stop a witch hunter. Mame by Jessica George, about a young black woman in London who is tired of her job. She's also been living at home for a long time and caring for her father, who is in the late stages of Parkinson's disease, while her mother goes off on trips and does all this stuff. And she decides it's time to strike it on her own. She needs to shake things up, say yes to everything, start living her life. And so she moves out, but then tragedy changes her perspective on the things she thought she knew. The Grimkeys, A Legacy of Slavery in an American Family by Carrie K. Greenidge. This is a biography of the Grimke sisters who were two white women who were hailed as hero abolitionists through much of history. But in fact, they had black members of their family who were enslaved uh, who, and who gave birth to the white slavers' children that they didn't talk about. And these uh, black family members have been ignored in the tellings of the Grimke sisters. And most histories of the Grimke sisters also don't mention that they wanted to abolish slavery but did not want black people to have the same rights as white people. Uh, So that covers all of this. Hijab Butch Blues, a memoir by Lamia H. This is a Book Riot favorite. A memoir about Lamia H.'s childhood growing up as a queer Muslim immigrant. We Deserve Monuments by Jazz Hammonds. This was my favorite YA book of 2022 about a young black queer teen who moves to the South with her mother to take care of her ill grandmother, where she falls in love and also uncovers a mystery in the town from long ago. Be Dazzled by Ryan LaSala. I adored this one. 
It's about a gay teen who loves to make costumes, and he wants to win the costume contest at Comic-Con. He and his BFF were in the contest together, or they, but something happened, and now they will be competing against each other in the current show. Lone Women by Victor Laval, about a young black woman in the early 1900s who moves to Montana to claim unworked land and try and gain independence, and the trunk that she takes with her everywhere. Cue the Brad Pitt voice, what's in the box? Run Towards the Danger, Confrontations with a Body of Memory by Sarah Pauly. Sarah is an actress. She did Go and Ramona and Road to Avonlea. Also a director. She directed the incredible movie Women Talking that came out last year. And this is a memoir in six parts and it's just fantastic. I Know Who You Are, How an Amateur DNA Sleuth Unmasked the Golden State Killer and Changed Crime Fighting Forever by Barbara Ray Venter. This is one of the best true crime books of last year. Uh, she is brilliant. She has this passion for learning and a fierce independent streak uh, and eventually took up amateur DNA sleuthing and people would ask her to help her find their birth parents or a missing relative. Um, and she worked on people's heritage for a long time before eventually she was contacted by the police who said, hey, we just realized this could work for cold cases. Uh, and she was doing that when someone reached out and asked her to work on the Golden State Killer case, which was covered in I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara is a very famous case about that man who killed many, many people and assaulted many more in California many years ago. Um, and, and it was her research that helped find him. And it's a wildly fascinating book. DNA uh, use is a relatively new science. There's ever-changing laws about DNA use. Uh, the sites that you submit your DNA to, like um, those uh, ancestry sites, like they're forever changing their rules about, yes, you can contact people on this and ask them if they're related, and then you can't. And like in the middle of like trying to solve this case, you know, they were changing all these things. And then she found herself in the middle of a controversy about privacy and using DNA uh, to solve crimes. It's amazing. And last but not least, The Town of Babylon by Alejandro Varela. This was an NBA finalist about a gay Latinx professor who returns to his small hometown after he discovers his husband's infidelity and he winds up at his class reunion where he reunites with his first love. So, paperbacks. Danica, what are you going to read next? I am currently reading a graphic novel called Boyfriends Volume 1 by Refrainbow, which was originally a webtoon, and it is just absolutely ridiculously cute. It's just about four guys in a polycule together trying to figure it out. <laughs> it is, yeah, just almost too cute, but I'm enjoying it. What are you going to read next? Well, I'm going to finish Smoke Kings, the book by Jamal Mayfield that I mentioned. And then I think I'm going to read Challenger, a true story of heroism and disaster at the edge of space by Adam Higginbotham. It comes out on May 14th, and you might recognize his name. He also wrote the book Midnight in Chernobyl. So I'm guessing Adam Higginbotham has a thing for disasters. We'd probably get along great. <laughs> And that is it for us today. You can visit bookriot.com slash readharder to sign up. That's bookriot.com slash readharder. And yes, 
I mean, I've got like two more minutes, but the computer's doing good. We may, we might make it. <laughs> Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Caitlin Brame. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. Danica, where can people find you online? They can find me at the Lesbury, L-E-S-B-R-A-R-Y.com. What about you? I mostly hang out on Instagram at Franzen Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us, and we appreciate it so much. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy reading. reading.